some pretty cool things happen just by having a presence online and being vocal. I got to go on some national media, spotlights reached out. I got to meet President Obama, which was a life-changing experience for me, like totally life-changing. I mean, that's really the experience that got me to quit my job. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Monica Froyce, founder of Redefining Mom and Empowered Business, where she empowers women to create financial independence through building six-figure digital product businesses. Today, she's here to share her story of entrepreneurship, including how she got to meet with President Obama and how you can get started selling your very first digital product today. As always, stick around to the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Monica, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 106 to grab our free Discover Your Passion Project workbook and check out the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Monica, welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I love your platform, Redefining Mom, and you have such fascinating money stories of your own. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Redefining Mom? Yeah. Well, Redefining Mom is the brand that I started out as online with probably no intention. I just was looking for an available URL and it happened to be, who would have thought? So I I started Redefining Mom in 2013. So we're like eight years in. Luckily, I chose something that's so dynamic. So at the time I had my first baby. So I was talking about a lot of newborn stuff and now I can talk about anything because moms are always redefining themselves. So Yes, we are. Yeah, it ended up being a really great brand name. Who would have thought? No intention behind it. But the reason I started Redefining Mom was because I had really bad postpartum PTSD after I had my first daughter. So I had an emergency C-section, almost died. Lots of horrible things happened in my first birth experience. And I became really, oh, I think I really lived in quite the bubble growing up. And I worked for a very large Fortune 100 company since I was 20 years old, and I was 27 when I had her. While I was working there, I got my MBA. I was very dedicated to my career. And I like to say I had my daughter at this crossroads where I was just finished my MBA, so I was like taking off trajectory, which meant in my industry, it meant a lot more travel, a lot less being home. And then I had this newborn. And on top of that, it was like, okay, so we get 12 weeks maternity leave, That was guaranteed for me only because I worked for a large company, but not guaranteed for a lot of people in the States. And I had no idea about just some really awful statistics, like 25% of women go back to work within two weeks of giving birth. And then I found out that the benefits I did get, which gave me those 12 weeks, I was like in the top 7% of what working moms got in the United States. And I was like, but my life is crumbling around me. I was a super well put together Like I like to say I have my stuff together. I'm a pretty high-functioning person, and it just crumbled me. And I got pissed. (laughs) I was like, this is not okay. And why didn't – I worked in this huge corporation with tons of working moms. Nobody talked about how hard it was to balance both your career and having a baby and all these postpartum feelings. Like you're not through postpartum 12 weeks later. And that's – I was fortunate to even get those 12 weeks So naturally, because I have a loud mouth, I was like, well, I am not okay with this. So I am going to start this thing called a blog where I'm going to tell everyone how not okay with this I am. And there was no intention 
besides that, like a place to vent and blogging's evolved over the last 20 years. But a lot of times when I started, it was still seen more of like a lifestyle thing. Like people would go on and just tell stories. That's not really what blogging is anymore. That's like a journal (laughs) more than anything, but that's how I treated it to a degree. And with the lack of intention I had, even though I understood branding, because I worked in corporate marketing, like I got all the concepts, but I just didn't have time for it. But some pretty cool things happened just by having a presence online and being vocal. I got to go on some national media, spotlights reached out. I got to meet President Obama, Whoa. which was a life-changing experience for me, like totally life-changing. I mean, I would say that's really the experience that got me to quit my job. That's when I was like, all right, I really feel like if the president can find you when you're complaining online, then like perhaps this can be a thing where I can help a lot more women. And that really led me to quit my corporate career in, let's see, early 2016. Let's pause. What happened that you ended up talking to President Obama? Okay, so it was a really crazy experience. I was sitting at work in my little cubicle, and I got an email from the White House. Now, I'm sorry, but I didn't know that was a thing. So I deleted it because I'm like, this is clearly spam. You know how many spam emails you get when you have a brand online. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I happened to go to lunch that day and mentioned to a coworker about the spam email. And she looked at me, she's like, maybe you should really make sure it's spam. So I was like, oh yeah. Okay. So what do I do? I go and call the white house. You know, you can do that. There's like a switchboard and stuff. Oh my goodness. So I call the white house. Like, I think I got an email from someone there and got routed a few times, ended up at the person's desk who sent me the email and she was an outreach coordinator. They were doing an event, a working families event. President Obama was honoring people who contributed to helping working families in a variety of different ways. But for me, it was in the workplace. And they wanted me to come as press. And I was like, what? What? I don't, I'm not press. What are you talking about? She's like, well, you have a you have a blog and it's pretty popular. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> but she invited me anyways. And it was five days that I had to get there. And we had no money at the time either. And I'm like, I can't afford a last minute flight to DC. And I have to like take off of work. I went because who turns down the invite, but you're not even told if the president will be there because they don't release the president's schedule. That's like a security issue. (laughs) So even when I landed in DC, I had no idea if I was going to see Michelle Obama. Like I didn't know. We get to the event, me and my sister, we get locked in this room in the Eisenhower building for eight hours. So like I had a pee so bad. They should have warned you. And they're like, if you leave and the president shows up, then you can't get back in because, you know, secret service. And I was like, oh my gosh. So at the end, so he comes in and talks. It was so amazing. We didn't even know we were going to see him. And then I get approached and I was asked to go to the West Wing to sit down at a six-person round table with his senior advisor. And he walked into this meeting. Now, come on. I don't even know what to make out of this. Like, I was not expecting this. I get into the West Wing. It's a good thing I actually didn't know ahead of time because I had no time to really like bug out about it. We sit at this like And just like hyperventilate on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my little sister was with me and she's like, wait, what is happening right now? And they wouldn't let her go with me. And they're like, (laughs) my sister said to the guard, you're going to bring her back, right? (laughs) What is going on? (laughs) And so we do this and we're sitting in this room, we're sharing stories with one of his senior advisors. And then he just walked in and he's like, hi, I'm Barack. I'm like, oh, duh. (laughs) And he, he was just this cool guy who wanted to really genuinely, he asked questions. And 
for some reason, I was not intimidated and I just let it out. I talked about everything from my feelings on student loan interest to what the federal government thinks is actually a good income when it's not and how hard it is for two parents. And I can't even imagine being a single mom, let alone that. And so I was all fired up. That's my personality. And it's like, why not? When am I ever going to have this opportunity again? And he looked at me at the end and said, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Yeah. I was like, what? (laughs) And he's like, well, you can be fiery all you want, but what are you going to do to impact change? And that's when I was like, clearly I need to quit my job and reach more people. That's amazing. That's what he asked. It was incredible, actually. (laughs) Amazing. So did you quit your job? I did. It took me eight months. And honestly, in hindsight, I quit it. I know me and you have talked about you were way more prepared (laughs) towards financial independence than I was. We were not. It was a perfect storm in the sense that my husband got offered an opportunity that doubled his income, which would replace my corporate income. But we were definitely paycheck to paycheck. And it was pretty ballsy of me to quit a very stable career that I had been building at this point. But you'd been challenged by the president. And so at what point? Exactly. I had been challenged. And I mean, who says no when when you're challenged like that? And I don't. I mean, honestly, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me for like a lot of reasons. But when I quit, it was, I'm actually, I view myself as a pretty risk adverse person. My husband always tells me, you think you are, but you're not. Because the reason I think that is because I think about things for a very long time. But when I'm ready to act, I move incredibly fast. And it's even if it, it's hard for me to articulate because it's kind of like I throw caution to the wind, it seems like, but yet I'm not at the same time. Like I had thought about it a lot before I actually did it, but it, it was pretty crazy to still do it when I did it, if that makes sense. My husband and I have actually talked about this, and I think you and I have talked about it a little bit too, because I have a similar way. And my husband's example is always a volcano, right? Like it's building pressure for so long. So if everybody's watching the volcano, it feels like, oh my God, all of a sudden it just erupted, but you've been sitting there and marinating in it and building and building. And so it just looks like it's fast to other people. But to you and I, it's like, no, we took time before we made that jump. Exactly. One of my top strengths on the Strength Finder assessment, my very top strength is strategy or strategic or something like that. And basically the summation of that is I see all these roads ahead of me and I'm able to quickly like go down each road and weigh what's going to happen and then make up my mind. But what happens to the people around me, this is actually very enlightening to me, is that they don't see me go through these roads. So they think I'm being impulsive and crazy, but I'm like, what are you talking about? Didn't you just hear everything I said in my brain? Like, I know what I'm doing guys. But that was very enlightening for me because it seemed to me like, what are you? T- I, I took forever to make this decision. This wasn't an overnight decision, but I didn't process that out loud. And so that's why, that's why people, especially my husband's like, no, you're pretty crazy. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> they can't see the inner journey. And so it took eight months and you left, even though it was a little bit ballsy. What was your plan with Redefining Mom to enact what you talked about with those big changes for motherhood? I'd like to say I had a grand plan, but I didn't. You know what I had? I knew that I would not fail. Like I had a motto that failure was not an option. Even though I didn't know exactly how I was going to impact other moms, I knew that I would figure it out and I would not fail. So that was the first thing. And I wasn't going to let down my kids and everything else. Like I had to bring in an income that was very important to me. I had to be an equal contributor to the house. So what ended up happening was I quit the job. And then I have this audience of working moms and they're like, wait a minute, 
haven't you been like the strongest advocate that women should be have the right to work, whether they have kids or not, and they should be able to balance both and the world shouldn't be working against them. And then you quit your job. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I quit my job, but I'm going to build this business and I'm still going to be working because this is a hard work. And through that, they got really curious about how I got to the point that I quit my job. Now, I did make it sound like it was a bit impulsive, but needless to say, I did have a budget and stuff. Like we did go over the numbers. I wasn't like, like I said, I traveled the road and then I made up my mind, but we did do a a lot of, we weren't going to go homeless over it. You weren't jumping out of a plane without a parachute. That's for sure. I get that to a lot of people in my life, it seemed impulsive. And even to my community, it seemed impulsive, but it really wasn't. And so they started asking me questions like, how did you do this? Which led me down the path of, okay, wait a minute. Why did I quit my job? I quit my job because I felt stifled in corporate. I felt like it was male dominated. I felt like there were only so many seats at the table for women. And I wanted the flexibility to not ask permission to take care of my daughter when she was sick or take her to doctor's appointments or not travel when it was her flipping birthday and not force me to do that, which by the way, that was one of my final things that happened. I refused to fly out on her birthday and that didn't go over well with the male audience in the room. And So I'm like, why can't we all do this? Like we, a lot of the women in my community had professional skill set, And it's like, you can repurpose that into your own business and make your own rules. And don't let anyone else tell you how you can show up as a mom. You show up however you want to show up as a mom, whether that's you want to work 80 hours a week or you want to work 40, you want to work 30 or 20, you can do whatever you want. And so that led me on this, basically a mission where my very first couple of products were geared towards helping moms figure out how they could take their skills that they already had developed and bring them into an online environment, which gave them more freedom over their life. And I did that for two years. I had a book, a course, I had a group coaching program. I did one-on-ones and then Pinterest called. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up becoming uh, the Pinterest advertising guru in the online space for a while And now I'm back kind of to my roots where that lasted for like three years. And last year during the pandemic, I sat back and said, I'm not happy. I never meant to set out to make my whole business about Pinterest. I love Pinterest to a degree, but not enough that it consumed my whole business. And I felt disconnected from the bigger mission of why I started Redefining Mom, which wasn't to help people use paid advertising. It was to help moms seek this freedom that a lot of times in society we're told we're not entitled to. We don't deserve it. So I ripped apart my entire business in 2020 and decided that the one thing that I've been consistently good at is creating digital products and a multitude of them from eBooks to printables to you name it and selling them in a pretty automated type of fashion, aside from major courses, because major courses, you're not going to get all that automated, you know, to show up for delivery and stuff, but smaller digital products. Yeah. And so I built a whole new brand called Empowered Business. And that whole mission is to help 1000 women make $100,000, which will result in $100 million towards women for women in their pocket. I love it. Yeah, that's the whole mission now. But what's your time goal to get these women through to their $100,000? So the time goal is interesting. So we've gone back and forth between two and three years. So our goal for 2021 was to get 500 students through our signature program. So if we do that, then we should be able to hit the goal in two years. As a matter of fact, we should exceed it by the end of two years. But the jury's still out. We did one launch. 
so far. And we've already had 167 people go through the program. I still have three full quarters of the year. So, I mean, you do the math. It seems like we're going to hit our goals. Every launch should get better and better. So if we do that, then we should be able to achieve that goal in under two years. And then from there, I feel like it's just a matter of up-leveling of how many women we can reach. I doubt I'll change the actual revenue goal because I think $100,000 is one of those elusive things that people chase. And a lot of times that's what you need to make in order to replace a good salary. Because you can do a lot of things and keep your expenses low in that range and quickly replace your corporate salary or whether you're in corporate or not, because that's where a lot of my audience is. They are not just contributors to their household. They pay life-sustaining bills, I call it, in their household. So they can't just rip it off and be like, okay, sorry, I'm not going to have a paycheck tomorrow. Like That's just not feasible. So 100 grand to me is a very achievable and practical goal. Yeah, you factor in business expenses and taxes and things, and that's when you're actually going to be replacing whatever you were making before. This is one of those points in the interviews that I love, where there's like (laughs) 5 million different places we could go. But I want to pause and go back for a second about that moment of leaving. And you said you guys had a budget and you had some plan. But I also know from knowing you that you are a spender, right? And so you went from having a corporate income and then having to build a business pretty much from scratch. How did that impact your money mindset and your relationship to money? Hmm. (laughs) Oh, this is a deep topic. I feel like I've, in some ways, I think I have some conflicting feelings about this because, so we had a budget in the sense that we knew we'd be able to pay all of our bills. That the life-sustaining bills, I wasn't going to have to defer my student loans or anything like that. Like we were going to be able to afford what was on the books, essentially, what was due. But my husband and I are both spenders. And it caused some major conflict because, and this is not, we got past this fast, but I see how it could happen very easily. So essentially, it was like I was no longer contributing, right? For about five months, I wasn't contributing anything because I was so set on building. I was doing my first digital product. I was like, this is going to be a thing. I need to focus on it. I'm not taking contract work. And so he was the only one contributing. And I, so every year I was going on a girl's trip with my girlfriends. And it was very important to me. It was one of the things I was like, put a stake in the sand. It's happening. It's very important to my well-being. And he was like, well, I don't think that's a good idea because your income went away. And I was like, oh, no, you will not tell me what to do. And I'm going. So we had a little bit of battle of the wills. And unfortunately, what we were doing, and we did this for a lot of years. I would say it came to a head at this point. It was we are one-uppers. I call us one-uppers. So like, if I spend, then he spends. And then I'm like, well, if you can do that, then I can do this. And that is a very toxic money mindset to have in a marriage. Oh, yeah. And not to mention when you're living paycheck to paycheck, there's no room for that kind of one-upping going on. And so we went into a lot of credit card debt. We have ebbed and flowed in the early years of our marriage in and out of credit card debt, but we went into credit card debt. And that kind of sucked. I'm not going to lie. But luckily, I feel like we reevaluate it fast enough that it didn't like totally ruin us. But it taught us a lot. I think that's when, honestly, when I quit, And we had this battle of the wills, like, well, you're not contributing now, and I'm going to try to control you, and then I'm going to try to control you. That's what taught us that we were both spenders. I think we both knew it. I always knew it, I would say. He pitched himself as not a spender. But that's when we really had to have some deep conversations about the fact that we have an unhealthy relationship. 
with money and so many like spending, how we act towards each other about what you can do or what I can do. And so it opened a lot of good conversations. And now we catch each other before it gets bad. So like if we catch each other one upping, we call it out so much earlier, which is a lot healthier, I think. (laughs) Yeah. And what was that process like of getting out of that credit card debt? Because you likely had to make some really big changes to not only stay on budget, but also pay that debt back. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So my stubbornness of not failing really did help here because I did start contributing again within five months and he had had that promotion. So it was over and above what we had ever made prior to that. What probably really turned the tides for us was when I discovered, and this was probably early 2017. Yeah, it was early 2017. This is when the Pinterest stuff really started kicking off for me where people were asking me lots of questions. And then I had no intention of actually doing a course on Pinterest, but I picked up from my marketing experience when someone asked you the same question over and over again, I recorded some videos. It ended up being a course actually unintentionally and almost an unofficial launch, which made several thousands of dollars. And I mean, you probably could school me on this because one of the things I probably struggle with now is launches, the whole feast and famine thing. I really try hard on the off months of launches to not let us dip too low, but I'm almost addicted to the adrenaline rush of big cash influxes. And I would have to say that that's how we've always managed to climb out of holes because the business affords me to be able to get these large cash influxes. But actually, I can see how it ties in and infects other things in my life. For example, losing weight. I want that high of being able to do it fast because I can make money fast now. I can make money in this quick time frame, And now I'm like, why can't I drop 30 pounds in a month? This is crap. And so that can be toxic in and of itself. So I would say that the cash influxes in some ways certainly got us out of credit card debt. It helped us pay down some other things. But in 2020, when I was coming to the realization that I no longer wanted to do Pinterest, I also had come to the realization that the super stress of launches, all the chaos it caused in my life, and the cash injections, and then the deep falls, and it was actually very unhealthy. So now my whole mentality is predictable and stable. Which is a good thing. And it sounds like you have some baggage, for lack of a better word, around being told what to do. You said as soon as your husband said you can't do that, you had a reaction. So we talk a lot about early money memories here and like where some of those things might come from. Do you have a sense of where that kind of strong feeling could be rooted in? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So one of, okay, my dad's side of the family has a very unhealthy relationship with money in so many ways. And there are probably things I have yet to unpack about it, probably because I don't want to. But there are things that that I can definitely say about it. For one, my mom has this thing where she's always said, my dad has the first dollar he ever made. And his side of the family just is like incapable of spending money to the point where it's unhealthy the other way. Whereas I'm a spender and I throw caution to the wind sometimes. They use money for control in a lot of situations. So there were a lot of situations growing up where I felt guilted for spending money, like it was shameful that I spent money, that I was selfish for spending money, which made me feel controlled, which meant that I got my, I was doing a paper out at at 10. I worked in a butcher shop at 14. By the way, I love animals. I don't know how that happened. I started working practically full-time at 16 while still in high school and getting straight A's. And I've just always worked really hard because very early on, I realized 
that I don't like being told no. I don't like being told what to do. So I will work my butt off to get what I want. There are a lot of things I would change about that in hindsight. I can still feel it like when I make money now, like especially when I have big cash influxes, I'll talk to my dad about it because it's like kind of a sense of, oh, look what I can do. Not necessarily because I'm asking him to be proud of me. Like that's the feeling I should have. But instead it's like rooted in, you told me I couldn't, you told me no about all this and I'm going to look at me. I can do what I want. It is very deeply rooted. It was excessive because here's the other thing. It's not like we were very, very average middle class, not high middle class, not low middle, just run of the mill, like really in the middle middle class. It wasn't like the way that money was handled was due to we were going to not be able to pay the bills or we were going to lose our house or something. Yeah, I don't know. There's probably still a lot that I have to unpack. And, And there's a lot of stuff about wills and money being left from family members that causes a lot of conflict. And I honestly, I will say I have a very firm policy in my life. I've had it since my early 20s with some other unhealthy family members with money where I said, I will not be bought. I don't care if a dime ever gets lost. I will never do stuff for someone. I tell my family members, if I show up to do something for you, it's because I actually want to do it and I like you. It will not be under bribery. It will not be with the promise of money. I like refuse to do things for money. And that's been a huge, and I have a lot of family members that will bend over backwards for the promise of what they'll get left. And it's like, no, like my mom asked me once what I wanted in her will. And I said, nothing, like nothing. I don't want anything. I don't want you to die. First of all, why are we even talking about this? I just don't, it just, I don't believe in that kind of toxicity. (laughs) I think it's hard. I think inheritance is something that we all have really strong feelings about. And there's a lot of emotional baggage there. And I think that like on one side, when you're tying it to how you're behaving today and what that means you'll get in the future, that's really toxic. But when you talk about families who work really hard to be able to leave something for their kids or their grandkids to make their lives better, to create generational wealth, there can be really positive relationships of that. But when someone uses it as a weapon to kind of hold it over you, it's like, all right, you're out of my will or I'll change my will. That's where we really start to see bad behavior around money and generational wealth. And I'm curious, this is a a different topic a little bit, but you said your mom says your dad has the first dollar he ever earned. Are your parents still together? They are not. Yes, this is another. So my dad had very tight reins. Like my mom has some stories that are kind of nuts from my childhood about the control he had with money. So they divorced when I was 12. And my mom had a rebellion when they divorced. She went and she was a credit card spender, but it was very much rooted in, I was told no for 17 years. I was controlled and I'll be damned if I'm going to continue to be controlled. And that's actually when her motto came out. And the motto itself isn't bad if it's framed properly, which is she has three daughters. So I have two sisters, never rely on a man. And, the, and what she means by that was you need to learn how to make your own money and be able to support yourself because don't ever let a guy have that level of control over you. My dad's not a bad guy. My dad's actually one of the mo- most mild-mannered guys in the world. My dad's not a bad guy. He, he was exposed to some negative money mindset in his childhood, which carried over. And it's also society has changed. In, 70, in 1974, women couldn't get credit cards. They had to ask permission to get bank accounts, which by the way, it really makes me mad too. I can't even imagine that. But I was born in the 80s. And and then like credit cards were still not 
as popular, they weren't nearly as popular as they were now. It was still very much rooted in the man's credit. Daycares were barely a thing. So like, how was she supposed to work full time? There was just a lot of disadvantages she had in building her own wealth as a woman. When they got divorced, she just very much didn't want the same for us. She always pushed us in school. College was not an option, like not an option to not go. I mean, like, like one of my sisters was kind of on the fence and it was like, absolutely not. You are going because to her, that meant that we were going to have the skill set to be able to support ourselves. And I just really took that to heart. I would say that's a lot of how Redefining Mom came about as well, because when my husband told me I wasn't going to go on that girl's trip back when I started the business, do you know I booked two? Oh my gosh. And there's that one upping we were talking about. Exactly. And that was a very bad money decision on my part, but that was very much rooted in the, I will never be told what to do. I think there's something interesting here too, Monica, about control and who we're giving control and power to. And so we talk about this sometimes in the Motivated Mama Society, where we fight against an individual taking our control, but then we pass power onto credit card companies or debtors who we now owe. And so we're still being controlled. And until we can really figure out how to build wealth and how to manage money in a way that's within our means and that it's aligned with our goals and our values, we're still giving up that power. We're just giving it up in a different way. This is what I love about you because every time I talk to you, you say these things and it's like, oh my gosh, do you know I've never once actually thought of it that way. Even as you say it, it makes complete sense to me. I think about my student loans. That's giving up control to the federal government that I've given them 15 years ago, it feels like, at this point, starting with undergrad. I just never framed it. Maybe it's because it's like mysterious control. It's different when someone's in your face, like a family member telling you what to do. And it's another thing when it's like, it's mysterious. A critic, it's mysterious. It really kind of is. It doesn't feel as tangible and practical as someone in your face telling you you're not going to do something. It's sneaky, but that stress is there, right? When you owe the bills, when they come up. And when you're in those famine months, you talk about a business that's launch-based, you're going to have those periods of time where, yeah, it's really easy to pay those bills sometimes when a lot of money's coming in, but then it gets hard. It gets stressful. <laughs> we could go into money mindset for hours, I'm sure, Monica, but I want to spend some time really talking about what your mission is. Before we do that, let's take a quick pause and hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. When you're having a new baby, there's so much joy and excitement. You can almost feel those little baby cuddles and can't help cooing over every adorable outfit you see. Yet there are so many new and slightly scary things to consider, especially when it comes to money. What things do we need to buy and what can we skip? How much will the delivery cost? How do we think about childcare? Oh my gosh, where will all this extra money come from? And Do I need life insurance? And what am I going to do about work? It's enough to make you want to curl up in a ball and hope all these questions just magically go away. But I don't want you to hide. What if, instead, I could hold your hand through all these questions and help you make the best financial decisions for your growing family? We've created the New Mama Money Plan to be that guide, to turn what feels like a mystery into an action plan that you can carry out with confidence. For just $27, the New Mama Money Plan helps you handle everything from reviewing your budget to creating the right estate plan. Instead of trying to fumble through it all on your own, let us lend a hand so you can get back to loving on your little one. Head to newmamamoneyplan.com to grab your planner today or purchase one as a special present for a friend. 
Congratulations, Mama. You're going to be an amazing parent. Monica, let's dive into what Empower Business's mission is, because we have so many moms in our community who want, whether it's a part-time side hustle or a way to leave their corporate job. And so let's shift gears for a second and talk about what's the first step to really starting to make sustainable money online. All right. So a lot of what Empowered Business was born out of was a lot of people who follow me started with this traditional blogging model where they heard, okay, I can create a business online through blogging. And this is going to be my ticket out of my corporate job. This is going to be the freedom. They spent, in some cases, years putting out free content and never making a dime, but spending a ton. Because then they realized, oh, it's not just I need a domain and a hosting and this and that. They were taking courses upon courses. And what I saw over the years, especially as the online landscape has changed dramatically since I started Redefining Mom, because that's eight years ago. And that's like, 30 years, in, if not 50 years in online terms, you know, that's, there's a lot of stuff that changes in eight years. I started realizing that all of this content that people come online, whether it's social media content, blog content, it's all rooted in knowing something mm-hmm. better than someone else. Like having a skill that you are good enough at that you can teach someone behind you. It's all rooted in that. So I started thinking, why can't we just put that in a digital product that people pay us for? It doesn't mean you can never do free content. It just means your free content should take them on a customer journey to pay you money. Like free content, in my opinion, should not be created without an end goal in mind. And that end goal should always be to make you money. And so often that's not the case. That A lot of free content gets put out with no objective to make the money. And it's just such a disconnect that I see out there, especially with moms. And it makes me sad because moms of all people who are starting online businesses are doing it because they have limited time. They want to support their family. They oftentimes have to support their family with this money. And I want to see them succeed. And so the whole purpose of Empowered Business is we really target them creating their first digital product. So we're not talking about a $500 course or like this insanely priced group coaching or whatever it might be, that there's tons of great programs out there for you to learn how to do that. But mine is geared towards a 97 or below product where we take one problem, you're going to solve that one problem. So one solution, it's a one-to-one thing. I always say, don't boil the ocean with your first product, especially if it's under $97. And I lead people through an exercise where we talk about, so there's hobbies, there's professional skills and there's life experiences. Those are like the buckets you can pull from because a lot of people will say, well, what am I good enough at that people are going to pay me money? You're good at a lot of stuff, a lot of obvious, like especially life skills. I always tell, for example, I'm a horrible meal planner and I don't cook. I need the dumbest explanation on things for it to resonate with me. To someone else who's been cooking for their family for 20 years and it comes so easily to them, They're like, why would anyone want to know my meal planning process? I do. There's a really popular keto blogger I follow. She doesn't offer any digital products, but her site, it's really hard for me to find the recipes I want to make. And when I do find them and I put them on my iPad to cook with, there's all these pop-ups that go off. And I always say, if she put all of her recipes into an ebook, I would pay her money for it. Because a lot of what a digital product is, is just aggregating all that information that you have into a system that gets someone from point A to point B in the least painful way. What comes easily and naturally to us doesn't come easily and natural to other people. So there's like 
unlimited examples of this that I could give. I try to root it in like things that I'm doing in like my life right now. So like we just built a house, for example. I thought that it shouldn't be hard to decorate or furnish it because we had a house about a third of the size before this. And I thought, well, I I always had pictures on the wall and I decorated that house. Oh no, not the same thing when you're dealing with three times the size. And so I started seeking out things like home decor design and I wanted to, to go room by room. And this is stuff, there are people who like thrive on this stuff that just love decorating and they don't even need to have a professional background to do it. And to me, it's overwhelming. Like I look at a blank canvas and I'm so overwhelmed by where to start. I don't even like, should I put a chair in the corner? Like where should the pictures go? How should I arrange it for where the windows are? And other people just thrive off of this. And I have a student right now who created a whole digital product just on how to decorate your living room. And think about all the rooms in your house that you could create a digital product on. But when we talk about the whole one problem to one solution, it's like, okay, don't overwhelm them though. If I have to decorate a new house, I can't do all these rooms at once. I need one place to start. Where do we spend the most amount of time? We spend it in the common room. Let me decorate that room first. And she came up with this amazing product, very in-depth about how to decorate your living room. My sister is a physical therapist. She's been doing it for 15 years. So the exercises that she teaches people, so she's specializing right now on pelvic floor exercises and helping postpartum moms because she had her fourth and fifth kid. She had twins at 38. And as she said, they destroyed her body. (laughs) And so she like was experiencing things that she had never in her three previous pregnancies, which made her really want to help other moms, postpartum moms. And she lives across the country. I was just visiting her and we were talking about how the exercises that she was showing me seem so simple, but I never would have thought to do them or that I even had the issues that she was explaining to me because she's been doing it for so long. It just comes so naturally to her. And I was like, if you put these exercises into one minute videos Instead of me having to go scour the internet for like free examples and like a million YouTube videos, I would completely pay you. Just give me the videos I need to do every morning to make me not pee my pants when I walk and (laughs) heal the gap in my abs. Like I would completely pay for that because it's you're consolidating the path for me to get from point A to point B. Point A is my problem. Point B is my solution. Online with all this free content that's out there, I could be on YouTube. I could be on blog posts. I get display ads. I get this, that. It's confusing. And I don't have the time in my life to be searching through hundreds of websites for the answer and all the conflicting advice. I just want to pay someone who has shown results on the same thing that I want to accomplish. And they can be very ordinary things in our lives. Everything, my very first product, (laughs) very first product, which I still sell today and has made multiple six figures with very little effort, is our family budget spreadsheet. It is not a professional spreadsheet. It is We live paycheck to paycheck, and we are also commission-based in corporate. And so I had to have a way to understand, okay, if things are good this month or things are bad, because it happened one month. We spent more the previous month paying something off, but then we hit a low commission, and we were like, crap, we needed some of that money from the previous month to front this month. And so we came up with this cash flow system. It's just, it saved us, saved our butts pretty much, and A lot of people live paycheck to paycheck and wanted to buy the spreadsheet for the same reason. Because they're like, I don't know what my cash flow is going to look like in in 12 months. Like, I have no idea. And it's scary because I live paycheck to paycheck. And that solved that problem. And it went on to make it a $17 spreadsheet. And it's made multiple six figures. And it solved such a small, narrow 
problem that everyone on the planet pretty much experiences. So yeah, I'm, digital products, I feel like are, I feel like they're gaining traction, but I still feel like there's so much people just underestimate how much they know and how much people are willing to pay for their knowledge. And just, I can't say enough, the things that come easily to you do not come easily to other people. And you just be shocked by the num- by the things that people sell online, like teaching their skills. It's incredible. Everything from baking dog treats, which is a very lucrative product, apparently, I have found out. Like, who would have thought, like, how many people, I know people who make custom meals for their dogs, whether they have, and I don't have a dog myself, but I know people who have dogs who are like sick, have different dietary things. I hear dog lovers are very intense and love their dogs and they will go to great lengths to make sure their dogs are taken care of. All of that knowledge, another dog owner behind you is going to run into it and they love their dog as much as you do and they want to help their dog and they will actually buy a book that help that tells them from A to Z how to take care of their dog with that condition, what to cook, what to put in it, when to feed them. You name it, people will buy anything. <laughs> they really will. But I think there's so much chatter out there and courses and gurus telling people that they have to create all this free content and the importance of having a relationship with your audience, which is important. But you also reach a point, and I ran into this a little bit as well, when you're like, when does it stop? When do you earn the right to offer a paid product to your audience? So if you're a new person coming online or you're considering starting, when are you ready to launch a product? Right away. That's my honest opinion. Because here's what happens. First of all, it is important to know what you want to talk about online. So that's why we do have exercises with identifying in the bucket. Is it your hobby that you want to teach people about? Is it you want to take your professional skill, like what you learned in Excel in your corporate career, or you're a bookkeeper by trade and you want to help real estate people manage their books, whatever it is, or your life experience, like parenting, maybe you have an autistic child, like one of my siblings has, and she wants to like she's found tips and tricks and she wants to help them. Whatever it is, you do have to know that first. But then here's where I pose the question. You can go out and create a bunch of free social media content. You can offer free videos on YouTube. You can create blog posts. But then there's nowhere for them to go. So then you're going to spend all of this time creating this free content, hopefully building somewhat of a community. It could take you another year then to free up your time to create something that they could pay you for. And by the way, and this happens a lot, if you train people to give them unlimited amounts of free content, when you go to offer that product down the road, they're going to be like, what? Why are you making me pay for this all of a sudden? Instead, develop the product first, work backwards, like start with the end in mind. So the product, where do you want people to be? You want people to actually pay for this thing from you. Work back from there. Develop the thing. What comes before it? The free content comes before it. But now, at least when you go to create that free content and the social engagement posts, it's going to be with this purpose of making money, period. And I get the question all the time, not all the time, but I do have some snarky Facebook ad comments that come through. And they'll say stuff like, there's nothing wrong with offering free content. Duh. I never said there was. But here's the thing. It really comes down to this, in my opinion. You can create all the free content in the world that you want to. No one's telling you not to. Hey, go ahead and do it. But if you're not making money, then you're not running a business. So that means you don't have an online business. And since I'm in the business of teaching women how to make money so that they have a business so that they can have that financial freedom, it doesn't work unless we're making money. That's what it comes down to. 
Absolutely. And so you'd mentioned before, you said one problem, one solution. Can you get into a little more depth on that? Like, how does that help us narrow in on what we're creating that first product? Yeah. Okay. So everyone, there's exceptions to every rule, but the rule is I would say 95% of my students. So they pick their topic and we go through validation exercises. We use search engines for that. We go through this whole thing And then their minds are exploding with, oh my gosh, I know so much. And they start writing it all down and they get super jazzed and that's great. And then at the end, they're like, oh, wow, this is a lot of information. And it's definitely way too much information for a 27 or 37 or $97 product. Plus, if you put everything you know into one smaller price product, actually no one's going to take action and no one's going to get results because people want you to quickly get them from point A to point B. That's the whole point of what they're paying you for. So in the example where I said one of my students as an interior decorator wanted to teach people how to decorate their whole house, which by the way, in a more expensive program, maybe with some more handholding, there's different commitment levels when you pay 3000 for something versus when you pay 27 or 37 for something. So maybe in a bigger experience, she could do that. But someone who's going to pay her $37 they're going to make no traction because they're going to be like, well, where do I start? She wants me to do my bathroom and my, and all these rooms in my house. And I just, I can't, that's just overwhelming. And then people don't get results. And what that means, there's a thing called a product ladder. And so when you strip down your knowledge, basically you just keep saying, and then what? And then what? You just keep stripping. It's almost like micro niching down for that new product. Just you keep going until it's a very, very specific problem that you're solving. And then you can do things like product enhancements. Like, okay, here's an example. My family budget spreadsheet. So if people want to understand their cash flow for their paychecks and understand like what the year is going to look like based on what they're going to be making that and their paychecks are stable or they can predict bonuses high and low. Okay. I thought, what's the other thing that I was struggling with for all those years? Oh, holidays and birthdays. Okay, so those would break us. Every single time, we would be doing well with money, and then Christmas would come along, and we had to buy for 35 people, and it always irritated me, and then we go back into debt, and it was super frustrating. So we, my husband and I, had a whole spreadsheet for the holidays, starting with Thanksgiving, starting from the meals we had to buy, like the amount of money we had to spend on groceries, to the Christmas cards, even that could be costly. And I love Christmas cards, I will say. So we do a photo shoot and stuff. But for a while, he's like, I don't know if we can do the photo shoot. And I'm like, no, we have to. This is like important to me. So we had this whole Christmas holiday planning spreadsheet. I made it an order enhancement to the family budget spreadsheet. So it's like, okay, if you care enough about projecting your cash flow for the year with your paycheck, likely you're going to run into the same problem I do, which is the holiday time gets very expensive for you and oftentimes will put you into debt. So here's our system for not going to debt over the holidays. And you just check a button and add it to your cart. So it's like a product enhancement that you can create. But if I had put that in the family budget spreadsheet, it would have muddled the message of what that product was about. Absolutely. And so once you have your product, and especially if you're new, how do you get the word out? Especially if you don't have an audience, right? You don't have an email list. How do you start selling it? There are actually, I think people underestimate how many avenues there are for selling online. But more than anything, I am not a believer in the whole, if you build it, they will come. I would think one of the hardest mindset issues in the very beginning of creating a product is that you have to hustle 
to get people to know your product exists. If you're unwilling to tell your family and your friends even that you created this product or you're hiding it, which my students do all the time, they're like, nobody bought my product. And you go to their website and they've been putting out free content. And I'm like, well, how do I buy this said product? And they're like, oh, it's like 10 clicks into their website. (laughs) And nobody's going that far into your website to find it. So you have to be willing to put it out everywhere. You need to tell your family and friends about it. You need to put it on social media. In our course, one of the whole entire pillars of the course is about how to set up your sales funnel. And at the very end, we have 27 ways, like immediately, 27 things you can do immediately to put your sales page out into the world. And it's everything from emailing 10 of your friends, posting it on your personal Facebook wall, putting it on your Instagram, doing a reel about it, you name it. There are actually a million ways that you can do that. And that's all organic. That's no money spent. But if you really want to get immediate traction, you pay for ads. Now, that's a hard pill for people to swallow. It takes some savvy in understanding that it's a long-term game to spend money to make money is not, you can oftentimes be upside down in that. You put money into Facebook doesn't mean you're going to guarantee money out because there's a lot of testing that goes in. But I would say that my students who are like the most committed to getting results, usually within about, I would say three to six months, end up going the paid ad route because they spent all of this time creating the product. They're starting to put out free content and they just want traction. They want faster traction. And that's the way of the world. Like anyone who tells you online business is free, they're lying to you. Nothing's free. Everything costs money. And there's no difference. This is, we live in a time with the lowest barrier to entry, in my opinion, to start a business. But that doesn't mean there's no barrier to entry. You're still going to be spending some money to get it off the ground. And what you have to ask yourself is how much are you willing to spend and how quick do you want this to grow? Yeah. And so how do we answer those questions? How do we get a sense personally of what we're willing to invest in our business to make it work? I like spreadsheets. So I do, (laughs) I guess I just call it a goal planning exercise is what I call it. But essentially what we do is we predict three different scenarios. So we start with the first scenario is you already have an email list, but you've never sold to them. Because if you're in my program, you've never, that's the whole point is that you haven't sold to them yet. And so we have a whole like formula that we walk through of having done this for a long time. There's some predictable ways you can say, If you have never sold to your list, like a half percent might buy if you launch a related product and we plug in numbers. And then number two is organic strategy. So then we're like, okay, if you're going to go out, organically means you're not going to pay for the traffic that you get and you are starting from nothing. You might get 20 people in a week to see your page. And that's might be if you're lucky, but week over week. So we go over an eight week period and we plug in numbers of our marketing methods. So like, okay, I'm going to put up a Facebook post, I might get 20 clicks in week one. And then we build upon it. And you can see by doing that, like really how much time and effort it will take organically to see the kind of results you want to see. And then at the bottom, it spits out revenue. But then the third spreadsheet is you're going to pay for your leads. That goes over the same eight-week period. We factor in ad spend. So then we end up with revenue and then profit because profit's after the ad spend. And that usually enlightens people to see, oh... Okay, so if I go the organic route solely, this is going to be a really long term game. It's not impossible. It's just it's a snowball effect. So in the very beginning, you're going to be bumping along and it's going to feel very painful, like a lot of work for very little payoff. Eventually, the curve will start going up. And when it does, it snowballs. But ads essentially allow that snowball to happen faster. And when I take people from 
I show them in just mathematical format of this is the reality you're facing with whichever avenue you choose. It enlightens them to understand that pain to play essentially is often the way people end up choosing to play the game. (laughs) Absolutely. And so those early days when things, even if you are doing paid ads, I think that there's, you might have a low budget as you're getting started or whatever. Mm -hmm. So how do we keep the momentum and keep the energy to stick with it through those early growth days? Well, a lot of it is, okay, so the way I teach is that you're not just getting them to buy something from you. You always want to get them on your email list. Yeah. I call it my triple dip funnel. It's designed in mind that if someone's not ready to buy, that they still hand over their email address. So I put heavy, heavy emphasis on emailing the people you get on your email list because that's actually not hard to do, even organically. Like That's one of the easiest things in online business to do if you know what you're doing which I would say I do at this point, which is why I teach it. So a lot of that momentum in the early days is going to come from engaging with this new community that you're building in your email and letting them get to know you as a real person and what you can offer them. That's where the momentum will really start to multiply for you. Awesome. Monica, as we're wrapping up here, are there any last pieces of advice you have for moms who want to go out there and grow six-figure online businesses? Yeah, just start. No, (laughs) I mean, yeah, you should just start. But if nothing else, I feel like I just want you to know that you are smart and brilliant. You know so much and your knowledge, you're like withholding from us and you need to create a product with your knowledge so you can help us do what you do best and let us pay you for it. I think that's like the biggest thing that I see people struggle with, especially women. They just don't think people will pay for what they're good at. And the reality is people will pay for like anything, honestly. (laughs) I've seen some crazy things out there that people build and have loyal followings over and like you're worth it. So just start. Fantastic. I love it. Monica, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Oh boy. Okay. What is one of your favorite fiction books? (laughs) Okay. This is going to sound so cliche, though. I have to say, I'm going to come off so cliche. But one of my earliest memories, I worked at a nursing home when I was 16, and I happened to work on the dementia unit. And one night I was reading The Notebook. So it sounds so cliche that I would say The Notebook. The Notebook ends with, Allie getting dementia and then they die together. And I was literally sitting on a dementia unit watching. I had married couples on this unit. It was probably the most impactful read I had as a teenager because of the situation I was in. So I I would actually have to say that's like my earliest memory of fiction reading that really impacted me. That's a really strong story. There must've been a big moment to try to process all that It was, yeah, it really was. I, to this day, have a very strong compassion for people who have dementia. Yes, it's a very, very difficult thing to go through. Monica, where can people follow up with you, find the Empowered Business Lab, and get on your email list? Yeah. At this point, everything's pretty much centralized for our brands under my own name, which is monicafroze.com. And if you are interested in the lab, if you go to empoweredbusiness.co forward slash lab, you'll either see the sales page if it's open. If not, there will be a wait list so you can get it the next time it's open. But hopefully 
if you're listening, we're very close for it to be open year-round. But if not, you'll get a wait list and we'll let you know. (laughs) That's fantastic. Monica, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your money story and your business tips. This was fantastic. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mamas, I still can't get over the fact that Monica got to have a small roundtable meeting with President Barack Obama to talk about issues for working moms. Like, oh my goodness, what a badass. The only cooler thing would have been getting to talk to Michelle. Like, let's be honest. Anyway, before you jump off and get back to your day, I've rounded up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Monica for you to take into your own life. Let's dive in. One, having a presence online can open you up to amazing things. Even if you don't want an online business, taking time to craft your LinkedIn profile, paying attention to your social media presence and your network can reveal incredible new avenues you didn't even know were possible. If you decide to start a blog or a podcast and you feel like the listenership or the readership is small, that doesn't mean that the right people aren't going to find it at the right time, just like it happened with Monica when she didn't feel like redefining mom was even a big thing yet. And she got to go have life-changing conversations that led her to a whole new career. Second, you're an expert in more things than you believe. I love that Monica called this out and then we got to talk about it for a bit because there are so many things you do every day that you take for granted. Journeys you're on where you're 10, five, or even just one step ahead of other people who would love your guidance. Think about what people ask you for help on, what you do automatically that seems like it's hard for other people, that other people complain about, and start to brainstorm small ways that you can make other people's lives easier. Those are the digital products that absolutely blow up when you can take one problem, as Monica said, and offer one simple solution. That is all it takes to start your digital product business. And finally, third, it's okay to redefine your goals. Right at the beginning of the interview, Monica called out that she loved that she named her business Redefining Mom, since it fit with all the changes she brought her business through over the years and how moms are constantly redefining themselves. If you try something new and it doesn't work, don't be afraid to pivot. If you try something new and it works super well, but it just doesn't quite feel right, don't be afraid to pivot. This is what Monica called out. Her Pinterest course was very successful and very popular, but that wasn't what she wanted her business to be. And so she pivoted into Empowered Business Labs. We are all learning and growing. We can explore new options at any time and you can always change your mind until you find the right fit and the right success for you. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Monica again for coming on the show, being so open about her money mindset and entrepreneurial journey, and for sharing her knowledge. You can find links to Redefining Mom and Empowered Business, as well as our free Discover Your Passion Project workbook. You definitely want to check that out. It'll help you try to determine what your core niche and what your first digital product should be in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 106. You're amazing, and I'm rooting you on. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.